This is Pops in a Pod with Peter Pop and Nadir Pop. Episode 77 Demystifying the Covid Vaccine with Dr. Dheeraj Mulchandan. Pops in a Pod is part of Pod for Change, an initiative by the Indian podcasting community to raise funds for Covid relief. We request you to contribute and donate as much as you can. The link to the campaign is in our show notes. as well as website do spread the word on social media use the hashtag pod for change the views expressed on this episode are of an expert it is not a substitute for medical advice listeners are encouraged to seek medical advice before taking up any new treatment according to all the studies that we've come up with now uh we are at a state where everybody from 2 years to 12 years will be the most susceptible because their immune systems are still forming they haven't been exposed to a lot of viruses so they are going to be at risk of not only catching the coronavirus but they are also naturally at risk for all the normal infections that children get which means you could have them go out and catch the common cold you could have them get a bite of malaria you could have them have dengue you could have them have cholera you could have them have measles which is normal childhood disease right if on top of that you get the virus then it's going to be a serious situation so in the past couple of weeks i'm sure you would have come across a friend or a relative or somebody you know on social media with a picture and the hashtag let's get vaccinated or just got vaccinated or just jabbed Peter I'm sure you've come across that. Oh yeah and actually one of the people that I came across was you. Uh <laughs> So why don't you tell us about your experience Nadir? So to put it in context Peter um let me date it okay today we are on the 16th of May. My first dose of the vaccine was on the 11th of May which was a Tuesday. And I cannot forget it. Right? I'm I'm going to be very honest I cannot forget that day. it's like a milestone right it's it's there in my memory slot and it's never going to go away uh because it's so momentous getting your first dose right i think all of us can relate to the fact that we must have tried multiple times right i i did it for 10 days and i think on the 11th day the 11th day after sitting continuously on the system laptop or whether it's your phone or whatever it is right people are going crazy and it's like a lottery a lot of people uh, equated it to a lottery because there are millions of people trying to get like 500 um, you know slots that have opened up every single day and it's it's just pure luck so i think my experience of getting the vaccine is pure luck there is no strategy behind it there is no fastest finger first well yeah okay that one's true but there is no strategy to it the one thing that i can say is that you have to be absolutely sure of the time slot that you are picking so uh, on the day that i i got it the slots opened at 9 in the night right um and for that to happen you need to follow the bmc which is the municipality handle of mumbai uh, because it gives out a lot of information as to when the slots open up um i did that and on that particular day it opened up at 9 so from 9 to 920 like i think that was the longest 20 minutes of my life because you had to be so alert right and the first thing i can say is please don't do it on your phone 
please have a system in front of your laptop or a computer because it's easier to refresh it's easier to navigate as opposed to the phone which has drop down list and it just wastes too much time and from 9 to 9, 9 to 920 um it was a wasted effort as usual nothing happened it didn't work and i just I, there was a point i was like okay chalo you know today also full day didn't happen let's try it tomorrow and then my friend called up and he's like you know another uh, i think a couple more slots have opened up and i i was like it's impossible i mean everything's full it's all red in any case so again no rush for me uh, i was in no hurry to do anything i just went very casually put in all my details the page opened up as usual everything was red i hit refresh only once that that is what i had in my mind right i'm going to hit refresh once and that's it if everything's red again i log out it's as simple as that turns out there was a new center that was added at 923 okay i i remember the time as well peter 923 there was a new slot that was added it was green it had 500 no it had 377 slots open so clearly somebody must have already done and considering that there were 500 that they must have allotted it i quickly clicked on it i knew that i had to go for the 9 to uh, 11 slot i clicked on that put in the capta confirmed it and boom booked finally i think after multiple multiple rounds i actually get a booked page right usually what happens you hit confirm and your page hangs because somebody else was probably faster than you so can you imagine the emotions that were you know sort of coursing through my veins when i saw that booked confirm page i was so ecstatic i just ran around telling everyone it got booked it got booked it got booked surprisingly the next question that everyone asked me was like is it covishilo is it covaxin and i was like who cares it's a vaccine it it doesn't matter whether it's covishilo covaxin it's a vaccine i got it and it felt like a lottery and i was really happy honestly i was really really happy that both my wife and i kind of got it you know now that you and your wife are one of the lucky ones it's been 2 weeks since they've started vaccinating the age group of 18 to 44 and for the third week in a row i'm going to be trying tomorrow onwards and uh, let's you know what they say right third times lucky so got my fingers crossed but tell us more about you know w- once you booked that slot i'm sure you got the n- next day what was that experience like i mean actually going there getting the vaccine and of course everyone the question on everyone's mind did you have any side effects later on very well organized they had chairs laid out um social distancing was definitely maintained um and people had lined up nicely and there was you know there was no rush nobody was pushing or shoving anyone or shouting nothing nothing everyone was just quietly sitting um at 9:20 we were given uh, orders to enter the premise right so they had taken over the ground floor and uh, everything was well marked out um we entered we had to show them our the sms that we we received they had these counters three four counters people um checked the sms they did not ask for any identification and i i pushed them that do you want to see my aadhar my wife's aadhar they said not required because you already have the sms so that was that was good because i think they wanted to kind of keep the line going once we got everything sorted i think in the next 10 minutes we got the vaccine because then it was just a matter of following the line uh we went in the center the lady who was administering the injection asked us that you know do you have any allergies uh are you suffering from anything any specific medicines are you pregnant obviously they asked that to my wife and obviously for us all the answers were no um she quickly jabbed us and then we were in the observation center for half an hour that is a mandate you you have to be in the observation center for half an hour in case uh you know you 
uh, faint or in case um, you you feel giddy uneasy uh, i think that's why they kind of keep you over there once that is done they they again register your name and everything to ensure that you you've got it uh, and then that's it then then you leave both my wife and i were were a little uncomfortable for at least a good 2 to 2 and a half days uh, we didn't break out into a fever but our arm really really hurt where we got the shot that was really hurting a lot um, we felt extremely lethargic the next day the same day it was okay but the next day we were very lethargic i had a backache um headache which was not the normal backache and headache that you usually experience i don't know how to describe it but it's just something it just felt that it it happened because of the vaccine that went on for about a good 2 2 1/2 3 days uh you don't feel like working out you don't feel like doing anything technically um but i continued to work both my wife and i we continued to work and then by i think by the weekend we were absolutely fine like today being a sunday so tuesday got the vaccine by thursday we were like you know a little groggy but wednesday uh, fr- sorry friday onwards we were absolutely fine i'm kind of glad that you know we got it glad to know you know now that you had a great experience through the vaccine and your wife also but i think you know it's enough of us talking for this episode what we wanted to do is also talk about the vaccine with an expert and kind of dispel some of the myths or kind of learn new information that we currently getting about the vaccine so on this episode we're joined by dr dheeraj mulchandani he's a general and laparoscopic surgeon with an experience of over 18 years an entrepreneur in the medical tourism business he has conducted various training programs related to covid-19 and the ongoing pandemic in the past year so yeah let's get into our chat with dr dheeraj i'd like to welcome to pops in a pod uh, dr dheeraj uh, welcome to the show doctor thank you so much peter you know doctor this episode comes at a great time uh, because right now we're currently in the second wave all across india and you know there's so much information spreading around right especially around the vaccination because from what we've read that's one of the most effective ways to deal with the coronavirus at the moment so thank you again for taking time out and joining us on this episode it's completely my pleasure and honor to be with you guys there is a lot of information and i hope i can shed some light and bust some myths on this pod thanks thanks doctor so uh, peter brought up the whole vaccination thing and I think I'm one of the few fortunate ones who who actually got vaccinated uh, last Tuesday. So that that would be about uh, on the 11th, 11th of um, May. And I I got a I got the Covaxin vaccine, right? Now obviously there, there's so much information, and even I got involved in this like dive straight into the rabbit hole, seeking information. What is this Covaxin? Is it better? Is it not that great? Uh, but I think the question that really topped um, in my mind was that if I get a Covaxin vaccine, why do I need the second dose also to be at Covaxin? Why can't it be a Covishield or a Sputnik or a Pfizer? Like, why does that not work? Okay, so that's pretty simple to deal with. What happens is that the two vaccines that are made are made with completely different processes. So the Covishield. which is the serum institute vaccine uh, uses an adenovirus as a vector to carry the information that will produce antibodies whereas the covaxin vaccine 
uses uh, a dead coronavirus particle itself. So they're using completely different mechanisms to produce the antibody response. So if you're going to mix and match vaccines, it's likely that your antibody system, your immune system is going to get confused and may not be able to produce the appropriate amount of antibodies as well as the correctly targeted antibodies. So it's important to completely use the same vaccine as the second dose, which will also ensure that the booster effect that the second dose is meant for comes in completely and you have the highest possible levels of antibody against the virus. Okay, wow, that that totally makes sense. But having said that, uh, doctor, one of the things I have read, and please confirm it or bust the myth, that the vaccines that we're currently getting will only be effective for a certain period of time, maybe six months or so. Is that true? Uh, Well, more or less it is true because uh, that's how vaccines work. In the case of the coronavirus, we haven't had enough time to study the efficacy of the vaccine as to how long the effects will last. Considering that the vaccines in India were made available only in January and abroad they've been on for maybe about eight to nine months now. Research is still on. We're still trying to figure out how long the antibodies will last post the vaccination process. And that's why you can also see the scenarios that keep changing. So if you see just last week, the government and the company has changed its stance, whereas the second dose used to be given between six to eight weeks, and now they're pushing it to 12 to 16 weeks. So they're still trying to study the longest possible duration of the antibodies that will circulate in your system. As of now, for sure, we can say it'll last for six months because that's how much it's been studied. And it's quite similar to the pattern when you get infected as well, where your natural antibody immune system sort of keeps your antibodies at a peak level for about six months and then they start to drop, which is why we're considering that you might possibly need to take a booster dose maybe year on year till the virus sort of dissipates, which is very similar to the influenza virus we have even currently for the common flu. It's a year-on-year vaccine because the virus mutates every year in the, it's a seasonal virus. So we sort of get new strains every year and we take a vaccine booster every year. So probably this is going to go the same way because it's more or less affecting the same respiratory system. But as of now, six months seems to be the golden timeline where we can guarantee that, you know, after taking the vaccine, at least for six months, you will be protected. So basically people who have taken a vaccine right now in May would probably, if things remain as is um, they'll have to take another one um, which is a whole new session in December sounds like it as of now so what will happen is you'll probably be told to take an antibody test and see how many antibodies are still circulating in your system because what happens is so it's not a one-time thing that you get the virus shot and uh, the vaccine sort of produces antibodies and that's it we're also thinking about people getting continuously exposed to the virus post the vaccine Let's assume that, you know, lockdown measures ease out and we start moving about. And then we're exposed to people who have the virus, but our antibodies are fighting the virus. So as and when you get exposed to the virus, the antibodies continuously keep producing. It's like a memory cell, which when sees the virus starts producing antibodies again and again. And if it doesn't see the virus for a long period of time, it sort of stops the production so that the other antibodies which are fighting your other normal diseases take over. So it depends on how exposed you are to the virus, how long the vaccine will last in terms of your memory cells, keeping it in mind that this is the virus particle against which I have to produce antibodies. So it's a very fluid thing. I mean, there's no black and white answer that, you know, six months and then six months, one day you won't have the antibodies anymore. So it'll have to be a test. And then if you need, they'll put a booster. Similar to what they're doing with polio and the measles vaccine, really. 
No, it's interesting you brought up immunity and we will pick your brains on that uh, a, a little later, but we have a couple more um, myths or facts uh, questions. So the next one that we've, we've been hearing, reading a lot about and uh, a lot of speaking, people have also spoken and you know we, we've heard various um, uh, aspects to this particular question. So doctor, we want to understand um, you know, whether you think this is a myth or a fact. Women who are, who are menstruating cannot take the vaccine. No, it's an absolute myth. There is no reason why anybody who's menstruating should not take the vaccine. The only possible explanation I can give from where this originated is that at the time of menstruation, some women are not at their peak physical fitness. So some people get a lot of pain. Some people get a lot of weakness. They get fatigue. They get tiredness. And the only reason that you would not give the vaccine in such cases is because let's say post-vaccination, you were to get a reaction or a side effect. You wouldn't know whether it was a normal menstruation effect that they have regularly or it's a side effect of the vaccine. And that is the only reason possible that I would advise women who are menstruating, who know that they get weakness, they get tiredness, they get fatigue, put it off for five days. Menstrual cycles generally last for five days. Wait for your five days to get over and then go safely take the vaccine. But there's no contraindication as such. Glad to know that, uh, doctor. Another thing we've read or come across is breastfeeding while being positive uh, with coronavirus does not cause any harm to the infant or the child. That's absolutely true. So while the mother is breastfeeding the infant, you have to understand that breastfeeding is an extremely important function of human life because the infant from age zero to age six months has no immune system that can produce antibodies of his own or her own. The entire source of antibodies is the breast milk coming from the mother. On the contrary, if somebody is positive and they are developing antibodies in their body, it's more likely that those antibodies will be transferred from the mother to the infant via breastfeeding. So if you go and research, even the WHO and the Indian Council of Medical Research has put up a statement very clearly stating that breastfeeding is to be encouraged and continued as normal, irrespective of the corona status of the patient. I think that that will put a lot of uh, moms at ease because there's still so much information regarding that. Should we, should we not, should we, should we not? And obviously, it, I, I think by the end of it, it all it all rests um, you know, in the hands of, of the 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 doctor who's who's probably managing them but yes if if there's an official statement out then i think i think this is that's great news for uh, all new mothers um and doc our, our last myth of fact um is using two masks is a more effective measure okay so this is a very common question that we get asked almost every day and the two mask theory works for people who are continuously exposed to infected people. So if I am going into a ward full of COVID positive patients, then two masks for me make sense because I'm going to be continuously exposed to the droplets hanging around in the air, to somebody coughing or sneezing next to me. For the general public who is going down to buy groceries, for example, a good quality three-ply surgical mask, which should have about four to six layers, should be good enough. You do not need the second mask at all. Unfortunately, what we are seeing is a lot of people, uh, lay people or public who are not healthcare workers are walking around with these cloth masks with fancy designs. But most of these masks are permeable to water. So the simplest test you can do is take a water spray like you do for the plants 
and spray water across the mask. And if the other side of the mask gets damp, then it's offering you no protection. Then you wear your double mask or switch over to a surgical six-ply mask or a three-ply mask with six layers. When I go into the hospital, for me, it's important to wear two masks because what happens is if I'm exposed to droplets, the outer mask, which is getting all the droplets accumulated, I walk out of the ward and I dispose of it. So the second mask, which is inside, stays my primary mask when I'm out of COVID positive areas and just in general public. But by no means is two masks necessary for everybody in general everyday life. If you're traveling in a closed space with air conditioning where you suspect you might have a passenger with COVID-19, for by all means, you can wear the second mask. Or if you insist on wearing a cloth mask, wear a surgical mask inside, cover it up with a cloth mask outside and keep your fashion sense intact. Yeah, th- thanks so much for that because uh, masks became you know, a regular thing. So fashion took precedence over utility or actual effectiveness, uh, I guess. But, you know, having gone through the entire myths and facts, and I'm sure everyone is a bit at ease after hearing this, because this is something that ranges from going on your WhatsApp groups to Instagram stories and what have you. But coming to our ma- the main part of our uh, episode, uh, Doctor, one of the things we wanted to understand, I mean, in the last few months, because in the second wave, we've only seen, you know, a demand increase for medicines like remdesiv which a year ago a lot of people hadn't really heard about so could you just kind of explain to our listeners the effectiveness of these medicines or similar ones okay so once uh, you are admitted in the hospital with a severe case of the respiratory infection the only options available to us are remdesivir and another anti-clonal antibody called tosilizumab Uh, Now, remdesivir has gained popularity because it is the only uh, antiviral drug that can be given in the IV line, and it allegedly has some antiviral properties where it sort of destroys the virus. Unfortunately, there are no concrete studies to show that it really works or it doesn't work. So I got a very uh, good article just three days ago that said, they were doing a study on patients who had the virus with moderate disease and they divided them into groups. One was given remdesivir, one was given no medicine at all. And they both turned out negative in about the same amount of time. Medically and scientifically speaking, remdesivir is uh, supposed to work in the early stages if you catch the virus really early and if you start administering it at the beginning of the infection, And there is some evidence that it sort of brings down the duration of illness from, say, two weeks to about a week. And then you're sort of getting better early. But it's more like a supportive therapy. It's not like a one injection and the virus starts dying and you're going to certainly get better. So there are lots of people who have received remdesivir, who have received plasma and still haven't improved. So it's all about the timing of when you're giving the medication. And also, uh, Doc, um, it also definitely depends on the patient and the the current um, condition of the patient as well right like there are there are parameters like every, i think everyone has understood the aspect of comorbidities um your age um you know the, the current health and fitness situation that you're in those do those parameters also play an important role when administering these these medicines absolutely 
so the most important uh, thing in the fight against viruses is your body's capacity to fight if you have a strong immune system if you are healthy if your body is in peak health you should be able to fight the virus without any medications or all ideally all viruses are weak organisms they are supposed to be killed by our immune system without any support so we we are constantly exposed to viruses all throughout a common cold is basically a virus and a very famous gp who is also my dad had a very clear dictum right so he used to and i'm talking about when i was a child so i've heard this for years and years he used to say a common cold will take 7 days to get better if you take medication and it'll take a week to get better if you don't medicate which is basically the same thing with yeah, viruses true. if your immune system is strong if your immune system is strong with any virus the body should be able to kill the virus as soon as it comes into contact with it unfortunately our health has deteriorated over decades right we aren't as strong as we used to be say 100 years ago when that happens uh, then factors come into play wherein if you catch it early before it starts settling into your lungs then you can get a better outcome if you know that this person has a weakened immune response you start treating him uh, quicker with more drugs if you know somebody has comorbidities you're a little more careful like somebody with diabetes obviously has a weaker immune system than somebody who doesn't so these are the factors that come into play and that's where you decide whether you give remdesivir or you don't give remdesivir or some people who are staying at home can just be treated with multivitamins and vitamin c and all of that so of course the body constitution plays a very important role but i just want to reiterate that if you are really healthy you should be able to get away with this virus without a major problem even at home you know one of the things doc that has really and i think it's touched home both to nadir and me because we have uh four year olds right is that a lot of children we've been reading especially in metro cities contracting the coronavirus in this second wave now is we just wanted to understand is this because of the new strains that we're seeing of the virus and the second part of the question is of course what are the precautions that we can take to protect our children okay great question because i also have two children my sons uh, 11 my daughter just turned 9 and in the beginning we were all so cautious that we probably wouldn't let them out of the house not even into the building passage right and over time once the lockdown opened up in november december and we started getting a little free we started having these play dates and we started having their friends over and somewhere over time once the vaccination started we've all let down our guard right so we have we have the staff coming in we have our drivers we have our maids we have support staff office staff all walking in and out of the house whether you can attribute the infection in children to the mutation or do we attribute it to letting our guard down and exposing our kids to more people is a debate that's not going to end very soon there is no evidence to show that it's the mutation that's causing it let's assume that we had the same coming and going even during march 2020 maybe we would have seen a lot more infections in kids at that time as well because at that time we were all so scared that we would not let them out of our sight right but now you've got mothers taking the kids down for a drive because they're bored of sitting at home you have play dates uh, in the middle clubs had opened so my kids were going to play badminton and i was of course scared but 
because I had the advantage of knowing what I was doing, I had them wearing masks. I had I made sure that the guy who was uh, playing badminton with them was somebody I knew who was negative. So it's just about keeping your guard up. And to the second part of your question as to how we prevent it, it's the same dictum all over again. You wear your mask, you wash your hands and sanitize your hands properly. And you try and keep your children meeting only those people who you are confirmed are corona negative or have no suspicion at all that they might have the disease. So then it's it's definitely um, caution that that we need to keep siding uh, by right now, even even if it's uh, for kids, correct? Absolutely. That seems to be the only way to 100% ensure that they don't get it. So it's pretend that the lockdown hasn't eased up at all. Pretend that you're still in 2020 and your kids will more or less be safe. It's not like the virus is going to come flying into your house and infect them. It's only right. if they get exposed to somebody, it's going to happen. So then, Doc, why can't we give the, you know, current doses uh, of vaccination um, to, to our kids? Okay, so the vaccinations that were uh, tried and tested were done using adults in their clinical trials. And the way the vaccine works is it's a very fine balance. It's called the Goldilocks effect, right? So a little bit too much will give you more side effects, a little bit too, uh, a little less and you're not going to get the appropriate immune response. So the titration of the dose of the vaccine has been curated for an adult with a certain body weight and a certain body type. It's like giving paracetamol one gram to a child. You're going to fry his liver. You can't do that. There are certain doses that are appropriate for children and a certain dose that's appropriate for adults. Thankfully, now uh, trials have already started and They've basically, Pfizer has already been approved for uh, adolescents above 12. So 12 to 18, Pfizer has already approved for it. And interestingly, what they found is the adolescents actually have a far stronger immune system than adults do. And they produce a much stronger immune response, which also means that the moment they take the vaccine, they are more likely to have side effects. So they're more likely to get a fever. They're more likely to get body aches, muscle pains, bone pains. So they are sort of trying to find out a dose where you can minimize the side effects at the same time keeping the antibody production to its maximum. And while they do that, we have to wait till they come up with the perfect dose for children. I'm glad at least that's uh, cleared up. One of the things also where at least from what we've done our research so far, there's still uncertainty is for the vaccine for pregnant women. So if you could just kind of uh, explain to us what's the safest option for them currently at the moment because they won't be allowed to take the vaccine, right? The current doses are not for them. So what's a good precaution for them to follow? Or is it just the same as you mentioned for kids earlier? So Peter, interestingly, as of yesterday, uh, vaccines have been cleared for all pregnant women by the WHO. Wow, that's I don't, great. I don't, I don't know whether this is taking into account Covishield or Covaxin. I, I'm certain it's for Pfizer and Moderna, and they have said that all pregnant women who have crossed the second trimester can safely take the vaccine. Uh, first trimester is still in doubt because that's when the organs are forming and they don't know what effects the vaccine will have on the organs. But uh, second trimester onwards, certainly, uh, vaccines are uh, sort of no longer contraindicated for pregnant women. What they do say is keep your gynec in the loop. Make sure that you 
don't have any allergic reactions or any other contraindications and then you're good to go uh, doc could you just explain con contra into the in so contraindications contraindications yeah. is basically anything that prevents you from getting the vaccine so let's say you have a so a lot of people in pregnancy get hypertension they develop diabetes they develop clotting uh, you know your blood starts to clot a lot faster so those people will not be given the vaccine if you have a smooth run through pregnancy without any comorbidity developing you can still take it so this then opens up a whole new um, segment in the society where you know the pregnant women were, were constantly worried whether to go for it or you know because they don't know the implications so i think now it's it's quite clear and hopefully we have the kind of green signal that we need to help them out correct correct okay so just to kind of wrap up the main questions that we had for you uh we live in india in 2021 nobody kind of lives in a joint family anymore so it's primarily nuclear families all across metro cities and so it's a very similar situation where i'm staying it's me my wife and my son now something that constantly is at the back of my wife and my head is that hey if one of us contract the corona virus how do we kind of deal with it with our son around so what what would your advice be to people in such a situation doctor yeah this is probably the hardest question to answer because it's a judgment call um you have to sort of take as many precautions as you can and hope that none of you get infected but the safest way to go forward if one of you suspect that you are infected the the safest thing to do would be to immediately isolate yourself from the rest of the family so i'll give you my personal experience my wife and my we live with my parents we have two flats and my wife and my parents all contracted the disease in september and fortunately we were aware enough that we all isolated ourselves and i took the kids into one room with me and the everybody else was in separate rooms so the way to do it is you explain to the kids as honestly as possible what has happened kids are extremely resilient and they sort of deal with things better than we give them credit for uh you assuming that your family member is infected you have to keep away from them no matter how much emotionally you would like to provide support and physically you would like to provide support you have to get someone involved where they can either isolate themselves in the same house or if you don't have the space you have to get them into an isolation facility and <clears throat> just sort of make sure that you are no longer in contact with them for the next 12 to 15 days at least let's assume both parents get it what are you supposed to do with the kid so the child at this point of time needs to either be sort of uh, made to understand that they're going to have to stay away from the parents for a while and you have to get a responsible uh, relative godparent to take over if that is not possible there is still there is still hope i mean you don't have to sort of leave the child and alone what you can do is you can stay in the same house it's now up to the parents to completely exercise whatever caution possible in terms of wearing a mask at all times ensuring that you don't cough anywhere near the child wear gloves while taking care of the child's needs uh and also most importantly while you're wearing your mask and your gloves make sure that your child has a mask on at all times and as far as possible maintain a distance of 3 to 6 feet 
Now, this is extremely important because this is something everybody sort of struggles with. I mean, the child wants to hug the parents. The parents want to hug the child. It's an emotional moment. Uh, be honest with your child. They will understand it. My kids did. They stayed away from their mother for two and a half weeks. Um, make sure to tell them, you know, this is your limit. Three feet is your limit. You cross three feet, you could be in danger. You could be putting the entire family at risk because then it's stress on everybody. And however difficult it is, you will be surprised at how well children react to this. So you have to be open, honest, and it just leads them to understanding the whole situation better. That That's some great advice. Doc, thanks so much for that. I think it's um, it's very important to understand this this pandemic, especially in relation to, um, you know, parenting and and kids especially because we've we've heard this information of the third the third wave uh, attacking the you know younger lot so um th- this information really helps but what we also did we we encouraged uh, our our followers online as well to ask if they have any specific questions and we got some uh, some very interesting um questions as well so one one parent wrote that we have spent a large portion of the past year at home along with our children what impact has it had on the immune system ours and our kids right so very very good question and the first thing that will happen to everybody staying indoors is in india especially uh, is that we're going to be all deficient in vitamin d there's no question about it i mean you can go and test 80 percent of the population are going to be deficient in vitamin d and the only advice i can give you is if you have a window that lets sunlight in make your kids sit there for about half an hour in the morning uh, the kids immune system is also going to take a hit because what's happening is we're now enclosed in a safe space so the immune system is not being exposed to your regular viruses and bacteria from the outside. So it is going to sort of go into a slumber state. But again, the human body is incredibly versatile. And the moment you let out, it's going to reactivate. So it's not going to be a long-term thing. What's important is uh, I think we should all sort of try and get some form of physical exercise, even if you're indoors play with your kids in the house, make them jump around. They're they're going to have a lot of energy pent up and you have to sort of give them an outlet somewhere. So if you have a terrace, please go use the terrace. If you have a building compound, pick time slots where you can take the kids down where there's nobody else around and make them run around a bit. If that's not possible, for heaven's sake, do not let them sit in front of a screen all the time because we've seen a lot of children getting glasses and putting on a lot of weight because all they're doing is sitting around eating at home there's no physical exercise there's no exposure so it's very and also remember for the kids to sit at home even with online schooling it's a bit frustrating because all they're doing is you know the tv and the television and the computer screen was an outlet for them but now it's become work and they're not used to it so you will have a lot of children with outbursts and irritation and shouting back, give them some time to adjust. Please understand that it's stressful for them as well. And, you know, we all have to just take it with a pinch of salt and say, you know, this is something that's happening world over. Let's let them have their outlet. If they need to scream a bit, let them scream a bit. Don't just keep putting them down and saying, you can't do this. You can't do that. Because honestly, we as adults also scream out at times when we are frustrated, right? And this is the only outfit they have. So, I, I mean, just keep an open mind would be the best thing and exercise as much as possible. You know, something I keep 
I think I've said this a few times on the podcast already uh, is because we love traveling, right? I think my son is going to end up looking at our photos from 2020, 2021 and say, why didn't we travel at all? What happened that year? I know. <laughs> but but coming back to another question that we got, and I think this is something that a lot of people have on their mind is post getting the vaccine, whether it's the first dose or the second dose, is it safe to try conceiving for children? If you're prepared to take on the additional responsibility and if you're prepared that, you know, conceiving is all fine and dandy, but you're assuming that in nine months when it's time to deliver, that everything is going to be okay. Uh, the whole of 2020 in hospitals, we saw pregnant patients sort of being shifted here and there for a bed. There were emergency labors in casualties and emergency rooms who did not get an operation theater because in March, April, all the operation theaters were shut. So it's not only about conceiving and bringing a child into the world. It's about how are you going to do it at the time of delivery? Are we going to be open? Is everything going to be fine or not? If you're prepared for that, go ahead. No worries. But I would sort of put it off till at least we know when we are going to open up again. Simply because let's assume that you have some complication in pregnancy. Is your gynae going to be equipped to handle it with COVID in the hospital? So, you know, we, we started unlocking in November, December, and everybody thought we we're going to open up in May, June. It's all over. And suddenly the second wave hit us in May. And again, there are no beds. Now let's let's for the sake of argument, say that somebody needed to deliver in May, it would not be a situation that I would want to find myself in. So just think nine, nine months forward. If you feel that the picture is rosy, go ahead. Otherwise, wait it out. But the, the vaccination has no impact physiologically on you um, in terms of you know having a child or anything? Not at all. Not at all. So the vaccine sort of only promotes your immune system to produce antibodies. It does nothing else to your other organs and systems. So the vaccination per se is not going to prevent you from having a baby. Having said that, let's also tell everybody that the vaccination does not mean that now you can roam around mask free, no matter what Joe Biden says, right? You still need to keep precautions because the virus is mutating all the time. Until we have a sufficient uh, population that sort of had the virus or completely vaccinated and no longer spreading it forward, we're still not out of the woods. Okay, this comes, feel free if you can kind of help us out with this is, We've read about, you know, uh, lactating mothers also not like being able to take the vaccination. Is there going to be like a separate vaccination for them? What's the current status? If you could just explain that to us. So again, as of two days ago, day before yesterday, the national expert group has put out an advisory saying that all pregnant and lactating women will be allowed to take the vaccine. And they've realized that if they are lactating and they are producing antibodies, it's beneficial because they're transmitting the antibodies to the child, to the infant. So you're more or less protecting the infant at the same time. The only worry is the side effects that the vaccines may have, which again goes to the uh, immune status of the women. If they are lactating without issues, they are not on any hormonal medication, everything is going fine. We are going to open up vaccination for pregnant and lactating women as well. Doc, for the last question, I, I know you've you've answered this, but uh, one gentleman has asked that um, since the third wave is going to be, um, you know, very crucial for kids, which is the age group do you think is the most susceptible during this this uh, 
third wave? Is it going to be the toddlers, the adolescents? What what group should be most cautious? Is what the gentleman's asking. So, uh, according to all the studies that we've come up with now, uh, we are at a state where everybody from two years to twelve years will be the most susceptible because their immune systems are still forming. They haven't been exposed to a lot of viruses. So they are going to be at risk of not only catching the coronavirus, but they are also naturally at risk for all the normal infections that children get, which means you could have them go out and catch the common cold. You could have them get a bite of malaria. You could have them have dengue. You could have them have cholera. You could have them have measles, which is normal childhood disease, right? If on top of that, you get the virus, then it's going to be a serious situation. Fortunately, everybody 12 and up, the adolescent groups, the studies have shown that they have an equal and robust immune system, almost better than the adults. So their exposure is sort of uh, not going to be too bad because their immune system is able to fight it off faster. So they are almost at par with adults. In fact, they might be a little better off. So the main group we're talking about is two plus till 12. And those are the ones that we really need to protect and sort of keep at home, assuming that it's still 2020. Yeah, you know, sometimes you really feel uh, like we were talking earlier, right? Like April, May uh, of this year, we thought that everything would be normal. And then as the second wave came, it was just like deja vu, like we're back in 2020. So yeah, I think that that's the mantra, I guess, for us for the next few months or days as we kind of ride out the second wave is just think that it's 2020 again and take those precautions. Yeah, absolutely. So another thing that I sort of think is because we've opened up, right, and everybody needs to go to work, it's unfortunately the middle-aged group that's going to work that's getting exposed and bringing it back home. You asked me why a lot of children in the metros are getting infected. It's because a lot of people in the metros need to go to work and they come back home. And they're exposing, unfortunately, the children who haven't actually gone out, right? At the same time, if you want to go back to 2020, we're going to have to do lockdowns and the third wave. So this third wave that everybody's talking about, it may or may not come. It all depends on how we behave going forward. By all means, let's not go into lockdown. Let's go out and work, but let's not keep our guard down. So I know a lot of people who go to work, go to office thinking my office is not positive. There's nobody positive in my office. I can go there. I can come back. I can skip washing my hands. I can skip sanitizing my hands. I don't need to have a bath, which I would have done in 2020 as soon as I entered the house. I would have entered the bathroom, had a bath, discarded my clothes. We're not doing it anymore. So just follow those precautions and 2020 will turn into 2021 as soon as possible. Yeah, I think that's some great advice that I hope all our listeners follow. And uh, yeah, th- thanks so much, uh, Dr. for joining us on this episode and just shedding light and especially giving us some new information that we completely didn't have. Oh, my pleasure completely. It was fun being here. Thank you. Thank you so much, doctor. And uh, again, very informative and uh, hopefully we reach far and wide with, with all the information that you've given us and people make the most of it. So thank you once again for being here and uh, helping us out. Thanks a lot, Nadir. Thanks a lot, Peter. Thank you listeners for listening in. Peter, I'm so glad we we did this episode. Uh, It was needed. It was absolutely relevant considering the situation that we find ourselves in. And Dr. Dheeraj uh, dispelled so much and 
gave us a lot of new information and uh, i think we are very grateful that he that he did this yeah totally i mean you know it comes at the right time also so i hope all our listeners have picked up something new so yeah i'd strongly encourage all our listeners to share this with your friends and family especially those you know who are parents and have younger kids because a lot of this information will be very relevant to them no absolutely and in case if you'll have any questions or queries that you'll want to ask we have tagged uh, dr dheeraj on um, all his social media handles so uh, write to us and uh, if if possible we'll definitely get you an answer in the meantime please uh, continue to follow us on social media and if you have any interesting stories or interesting people that you know that you would like us to reach out to then you can write to us on popsinapod@gmail.com until then thank you guys for being such patient listeners and we shall see you guys next week all right see you guys bye